In the name of the one who calls us by name and bids us follow, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Long before there were prayer books, long before there were rubrics, in a time that preceded canon law, ecclesiological categories, even clergy, in a distant time in a relatively far away land, there was a small group of people who had experienced Jesus, formed a community, and were making it up as they went along. People who had been in the presence of the risen Lord, who were doing their level best to keep the faith as they remembered the guide, remembered the guidance, and they're trying to find a way to stay true to the experience and the story. Now, taken as a whole, the collection of scriptures we call the New Testament begins with those four narratives that describe the life, the ministry, the consequences, and the victory of Jesus our Lord. So up front we have the Gospels, the stories that cause people to want to follow Jesus and gather in his name in the first place. Then the other half of the book, the epistles, the letters from the apostles to communities and the related writings, they describe what it was like to gather in his name, how to do it well, and what it all means. And these millennia later, this Jesus community has grown into something we call the church, be it the church universal, the the denominational church, or a behemoth of a building that we call a church. But what if this were all taken away? Just, Just gone in a flash. Who would we be then? That is what the book of Acts is getting at. Because you see, there in the middle, between the Gospels and the Epistles, resides the book of Acts. And it's like a breathing space, a clean canvas, a pause between the why we gather in Jesus' name and the how to gather in Jesus' name. It's utterly unlike this or that. It's an origin story. A creation story, as original as Genesis in its own way, a story of a radical beginning, the beginning of an entirely new form of kinship, founded solely on commitment to the risen Christ and nothing else, not on culture, not on caste, not on gender, not on race, not on nothing, just the common commitment to the risen Lord. It's a story of the spirit working on the ground through the actual mundane realities of everyday life, forming a heretofore unknown way of life, simply by virtue of believers being baptized into being together. And it includes a sort of how-it-was-done list. Those who had been baptized devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Three points of reference by which this new group, this way, was identified publicly and what would guide them privately. Sort of nothing usual about it, actually, because they're stepping away from the religious practices and the traditions that they had grown up with in Israel, 
So it was probably disorienting. And they are living under the Roman Empire. No doubt a little intimidating. Because the goal of the Roman Empire, like any empire, even our own American iteration of empire, is to shape the world in its own image. And the Roman Empire, like any empire, like our own empire, will accommodate cultural differences and tolerate a certain diversity of beliefs up to and stopping at the point at which said beliefs challenge the empire. So, now, this Jesus community is ousted from tradition on one side and oppressed by Rome on the other, so they stick together. And the how it was done list continues. All who believed were together, had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as had need. Now, those two statements of scripture are closely related, but they are not the same. They had all things in common, distributed possessions and goods as had need, They seem to speak of material things, yes, and we can get to that in a moment, but also consider that in and among this collection, this new collection, this broad section of a collection of believers finding their way would be the sharing of stories, sharing their own stories, their life stories, telling one another about their work, about their interests, their families, their hopes, their goals, how they might understand themselves at the moment and how on earth they felt they fit in to this entirely new kinship that they were forming. An ad hoc collection of individuals thrown together by the common quest to sort out their common life according to the risen Lord. As such one might expect, to exchange and and share in common material goods and belongings out of the sheer necessity of sharing according to who's got what and who's got how much. But perhaps what was not expected was, say, let's imagine there's a woman of considerable means who has opened her home and, and extravagantly shared hospitality with many for lots of reasons and yet has now come to a point of grief and has no resources within herself to deal with it. And so then let's just say there's another believer who had never had to concern herself with the niceties of anything and yet is well accustomed and acquainted with grief and loss, her own and others. And she can go and, and take the other woman in hand. And together, they can guide each other through the work of grieving that they have in common. Or maybe there's one who has a dark past, not particularly to be proud of, who has uh, refashioned his own personal narrative into something that seems more publicly acceptable. And then also in the community, there is one who recognizes the fabrication, having walked and made a way through a warped way of living, 
once upon a time also. And so this one draws that one out of hiding and into compassionate company with profound understanding. Like calls to like. Trust builds. Stories are told. Love lives. Deep down, dear and important things that are held in common, these things shape the way forward. Because early Christians didn't have community because they shared material goods and stuff. It's just the opposite. They shared their material goods and all their stuff because what they really had was a community. That's simply what happens when there's an equal exchange of yourself, of your truest self, one with another. Love perceptive and experienced enough to really get our neighbor is ourself. When we know the names and the faces and the stories and the experiences of those whose circumstances and needs are radically different from our own, how can we help but respond? Material generosity can't be forced, it can't be legislated, it simply follows from genuine care. Fellow travelers in the faith, we're not invisible one to another, but we are common company in this sometimes very difficult journey. So sharing all things in common for the early church was not communism, wasn't a co-op, nor was it a nifty, newfangled idea, all trendy and progressive to make a point to the wider community. No, it was a revelation. It was a discovery of the true, truest source of abundance. They know each other. They share themselves one with another. Now, did you know that an Argentinian permaculture project revealed that the most resilient ecosystems are not the ones with the greatest number of species? No, it is the ones with the greatest number of relationships between the species. Abundance is less about how much one has and more about how much one shares. Abundance consists not in a wealth of stuff, but in this wealth of relationships, of solidarity, of trust, exchange of story, exchange of self. That's the abundance. And that's a good thing, because, I mean, look, we just celebrated a season that really does drive home the point that we are broken and sinful creatures from the get-go, completely unable to earn our way into God's good graces, and it's only by God's generous giving of God's self, extravagantly given, that we are finally saved, not the least of which is from ourselves. And we don't have to evade that naked truth, because there is sustaining strength to be found in an honest acceptance of who we really are, individually, collectively, those known to us and unknown to us are not known to us yet, because there are such opportunities for, for humility, 
and courtesy and humor even and compassion. There is such abundance to be had when we view our own lives and the lives of others with such an honest lens. I mean, Jesus sees us this way with a very honest lens and see how all in his love for us was. So how might we follow on? I I wish we could really genuinely hear how uncompromising God's command to us is to love one another as if you were me and I were you. And the novelist Ursula Le Guin says, and love, it doesn't just sit there like a stone. It has to be made like bread, remade all the time, made new. As Christ's people, we are engaged and interwoven with one another's destiny. So, I'll put it this way. My personal spiritual awakening happened in an era when the going fashion trend switched from tailored and pinstriped and buttoned-down to being mod. Anybody remember that? Mod. Lots of swirls and lots of colors and lots of interesting new designs, lots of paisley, all very exuberant and wild designs. So if, if, say, as a growing community, we were to not occupy ourselves always, all the time, with getting organized and buttoned up, but made an equal effort to know widely and wildly and excitingly who we, and ever knew every single Sunday knew we, because there's always a new person among us, who this we really is really is becoming, and see where that takes us, an us that's established, an established that's new, and and an us that is yet to come sort of us. So, this past week while I was away, I worshipped last Sunday in St. George's Church, Cadborough Bay, British Columbia. And a few years ago, St. George's decided as a whole to reorient their lives and worship. Literally. It's not a large church, wooden structure. It's a small, typical Anglican building. There's a chancel, a little bit raised at one end, and maybe 40 wooden pews down with a center aisle, and an organ loft above a fairly small narthex. At least that's the way it was. Things changed. Things changed. The pews were removed. The altar and the choir stalls up in that chancel, they were taken out. The west-facing wall was torn down and rebuilt with an expanse of floor-to-ceiling glass doors that opened onto a beautiful view in this spectacular old-growth ancient tree. And rather than setting up chairs then, front to back, they set up the chairs in an arc, a great broad arc extending from where the narthex was to where the chancel was, like broad arms embracing everybody. 
The new altar now is against the eastern wall. They turn their entire church and congregation 90 degrees. Instead of being stacked up in rows where they were looking at the back of one another's heads, now they share this wide open spacious place where they can see each other and and those who visit face to face as they worship Christ in community. It is beautiful. The altar on that eastern wall is long and slender. The vessels are kept on the windowsill and the sun shining in glints off the glass and the silver. It's just lovely. And they have a particularly beautiful wooden floor. And from any place you can see all of it. It is just It's just so interesting to be in a place that radically reoriented that much. Those glass walls open into what is now a high-ceilinged, wide narthex area where everyone gathers for coffee after church or even for small events. It is as welcoming a space as I have ever entered, and it has made a world of difference to this worshiping community, this growing Christian community. And it was, of course, a major project as well. But when the story is told of this transition, this transformation that rose up from the heart and soul of these believers gathered together, the story is told many ways, but it is never a story about the money. The money was raised because it was a utensil to secure each person's commitment to the other in this progressive body of Christ. All by shifting the orientation of the space by 90 degrees. Now I know Trinity Church is not going to take out a wall. But just imagine as you're sitting there, what would happen if you shifted your focus 90 degrees? And for those of you here, there are people over here. 90 degrees away, and 90 degrees away, 90 degrees away. You could just keep shifting 90 degrees and 90 degrees, and who would be there then? Who would you see face to face? Who might you come to know? What might you share? What might you learn? What might you reveal of yourself? What might you find you hold as things in common? And you shift another 90 and another 90, and you share yourselves one with another day by day by day, and soon enough, there is an interconnectedness that weaves a fabric of faith in this place that is strong enough to vitalize any vision, survive any difficulty, celebrate every joy, and sustain whatever this community in Christ is called to. Whatever we are dreaming, this congregation would one day be, well, maybe it takes some digging. Digging into pockets, I know, but also digging into the courage to share ourselves in common, one with another. Our wisdom, our needs, our sorrows, our successes, our founderings in the faith. Share these things, one with another. You have more in common. We always have more in common than we ever know until we take the risk 
to reorient how we come before Christ. And our possessions and our goods and our proceeds, those mark our response to how deeply we value the common good of those with whom we share so much in common. And as you do this, I hope you will see from your perspective, as easily as I can see from mine, that day by day by day, the Lord adds to the number of those here being saved. Since the original acts way back then, way back there, right to our own acts here and now, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, they draw and draw believers here draw and draw believers together in unbreakable bonds. The Jesus community, always original, always new, always beginning. Amen.